Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Enterprise Sales Development Podcast, brought to you by Science Technologies. We interview outbound leaders at fast growth businesses to learn their secrets and bring you actionable insights. Thanks for joining us this week. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Enterprise Sales Development. I'm Eric Quanstrom, CMO of Science. And I'm Harry Evans, Director of Craft and Strategy at Science. Really excited this week, Eric, to be talking to Rachel Kyung, the Director of Global Public Sector Sales Development at Salesforce. She was an absolute sweetheart. And actually, this was one of her first times as a podcast guest, but you wouldn't know it by how polished and frankly insightful she sounded throughout. I'm glad that we got to her early. Well, yeah, truth be told, she has this habit of getting into a company and excelling and aspiring and growing, right? Like this is her fifth role with Salesforce in over half a decade there, including, you know, starting there as the first public sector SDR that they ever had. Yeah, she worked her way through, what was it? five roles at Salesforce over the last few years and has excelled at every single one. A couple things to keep your ears out for listeners. We're talking about stating the why and actually going long on context. We've heard lots of things about shortening emails, but we'll hear a little bit different from her perspective. And also just so much insight about the public sector. I don't think we've done an interview with anyone focused on that up until now. She really had some great perspectives on on selling into the public sector in general. Yeah, and I think that those insights will will pay off big for the listeners because it's really a deconstruction of how to attack a market. And once you understand what it is your prospects care about or how they orient themselves to their world, you really get successes on the other side. Take a listen. Welcome back to the Enterprise Sales Development Podcast, everyone. Very excited to be here with Rachel Kyung. Thank you so much for joining us today, Rachel. Really excited to be here, Harry. Appreciate it. For those who didn't already know about Rachel's background, and you heard a little bit on the intro about it, but Rachel has been at Salesforce for a number of years now, since the very end of 2016. And Rachel, you've been just kind of on a rocket ship trajectory. Started as a sales development rep, and then a team leader, then a manager, then a senior director, and now the director of of global public sector sales development for the team. Yeah, it is. It is. And it has been an incredible journey. And if you were to ask me five years ago where I would be, there's no way I could tell you that I was leading a a global organization. So it's been really exciting. That's how they write it up. You know, uh, sales development reps, they always talk about how they moved up in their career and it went in all these different directions and it bounced around. You followed the way everyone imagines it, just worked your way right up into leading a, a global team. So that's awesome. You know, I think our our audience would love to know, and granted, this is a pretty broad, wide question, but especially for someone who's just gotten into this field as, say, an SDR, or maybe they've been in it for a year or two, what's your secret been to being able to move up consistently within every year or two? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And I think the biggest, it sounds simple enough, but it's just hard work, right? And taking every opportunity that comes at you. Sometimes as an SDR, what I'm seeing, it's usually your first role out of school or your second role in your professional career. And you're immediately thinking, what's next? Like, how do I get to that next position? It's a bit of focusing in on the now, focus in on the habits that you're building, the consistent work that you're doing, the hard work. And when I say take on opportunities, you're going to be hit with a lot that are outside of your maybe general job responsibilities and scope. And the worst thing you can do is, hey, that's that's outside of my you know role. I won't be taking that on. I found that the reason I've been able to grow into the roles that I've been into and in, in a bit of a jungle gym is because I said yes to things that are outside of my comfort zone. And because my my values is to help people at the end of the day and What's great is you end up getting something out of it that you never expected from the start. Not only are you meeting someone new, but you ended up maybe even gaining a new skill or resource. So just to answer your question, Harry, just putting in the hard work and taking opportunities that come at you and new challenges. So Rachel, 
given the fact that you've been, you know, kind of working your way up Salesforce, and it's a fantastically interesting company, especially from the outside looking in. I'm curious, what are some of those examples of things that you've said yes to that really led to your own professional development? Yeah. Even prior to Salesforce, I would say I worked at a startup called OnDeck Capital, which is a fintech company. And I'm so glad that I worked at a startup within the first two years out of school, because that's the definition of opportunities coming up or challenges that are coming your way every day where you're like, there's no time for you to say, I can't do that. It's you immediately like, let me, let me go and work on that. And let me fix that process. Let me fix that project. And I would say the first, like kind of one of the first examples that came up is I was in the customer service space, actually. So not particularly in sales and it was everything post funding. And we ended up double funding, I think three or four different customers. And it's the first time that's ever happened, basically sending a wire twice. And it's never happened before. I was only maybe a year and a half into the role. My manager was out on maternity leave and I was kind of being put in to fix this solution. And it was terrifying. But at the same time, it's, it was, it's kind of an accomplishment I'm so proud of because what ended up happening was I was working with the legal team. I was working with our ops team of like, is there a way to get the funding back? Working with the legal team on if they don't want to return the money back, how do we how do we pursue other actions? And I learned so much on the legal side and the operations side. And after, thankfully, we were able to grab everything back. It was a six-month process, but kind of like what I mentioned earlier, not only did I build a really strong network of folks that I uh, I wouldn't have worked with in any other way, I was also able to kind of have this mini achievement that no one knew about. It was like kind of a secret thing at the same time. That's really awesome. And I kind of wonder, you know, we hear a lot about the art of saying no. We hear about You've got to put your head down. You've got to make your calls, send your emails, don't do anything else and be laser focused. And then you talk about looking for those opportunities and looking for new skills that you can kind of develop and learn. So how do you figure out where to draw that line or what type of opportunities are worth your time when you're also trying to grind it out? Yeah, I would say that's a great question. And especially when you're a sales rep and you know, you're, you're, you are getting hit with a lot and you're, you have quotas to hit. And at the same time, your manager is asking you to take on a side project that's not necessarily could benefit you at the end of the day in regards to your KPIs or your quota. Finding that balance, I would say, comes with managing your 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 time and day, but at the same time, asking yourself before you say yes to that project. I found just taking that extra two minutes of okay, what are the what's the end game here? What will I gain out of that side project that will benefit me not only the role or what it might be. And it might not be quota, but it could be, oh, I gain extra knowledge on that product. If I help build the customer stories library, for example, for my SDR team. So for example, as an SDR, maybe your manager's like, hey, can you put together five or six customer stories that are really repeatable to help your teammates out? Your instinct is, oh my God, that's going to take, that's going to take forever. But if you take a step back and realize, okay, I'm eight months in role. I'm obviously a senior member of the team. My manager has asked me, tasked me with this because she, she or he sees something in me. So I'll gain more knowledge on those customer stories so I can feel more confident on the phones. My it'll help my teammates, which will ultimately help my team achieve their pipeline goals or their ACV goals. And so for that type of project, I would say yes to, right? So it's like kind of re-evaluating what's the end game and how it's productive. And then for the ones where you do have to say no, it's kind of reevaluating that and not only just saying no to your manager, but maybe saying, hey, this month is really crazy for me right now. Is there a chance I can take it on, you know, at the first week of, of the next month when it's a bit calmer or maybe saying, hey, I know this is the ultimate goal with this project, but I'm thinking that we approach it this other way where it could benefit not only the team, but myself as well. Maybe providing a different solution instead of just saying no straight out. And now that you're kind of like on the 
the other side of that equation as director of global public sector sales development, say that fast five times, <laughs> <laughs> do you kind of leave space or hold space for your team members along those same lines where special projects are part of the deal and you know you, you give that opportunity to professionally develop? Yeah, that's a great question, Eric. I think I've found more than ever specifically going through this pandemic now that we are in a virtual world that in order to build camaraderie and a community and a sense of teamwork, we all do have to take a little bit ownership of whatever operationally needs to be fixed. And a big part of my management style and my frontline management team is constant transparency and an open environment to discuss ideas or things that aren't working. I'm I'm the biggest proponent of if you're not evolving, you're dying. So I think it's in like Moneyball where they said adapt or die. I truly believe that. So every quarter, for example, I'm, I'm putting out a, a kind of a start, stop, continue exercise, which I'm sure you're all familiar with, as yeah. in things you want to start doing, things you want to stop doing that aren't working, things that you want to continue doing that you see as a team. And instead of doing it annually or even biannually at one point, I started doing it quarterly. And what's great is your team ends up trusting you as a management team because you're listening to them, but you're also hearing what they need. And I found that when you have a sense of ownership in the process and the and the operation of your team, you, you feel more invested in it. And going back to this remote world, I think one of the key things as we grow and we become more remote, what I'm nervous about is losing our team values and our company values. Like, how do you keep that alive when you're not communicating constantly and, you know, in person? So that's something that I'm trying to work with my team, like what drives us as a team and how do we stay connected so that we all care about this common goal? And just curiously for our listeners to understand, how big is your current team at Salesforce? So I'm a second line manager now. So I have a frontline manager based in our Amer group, which covers all of the US and Canada. And we're based out of Reston, Virginia, about 30 minutes outside of DC. I have eight reps and a frontline manager. And in the past year, we actually grew the team. We have an EMEA team, which covers all of Europe, based out of the London, UK office. I have one manager and three reps. And I have a team actually based out in Sydney, Australia, that covers all of Australia, New Zealand, and Singapore. And I have one manager and three reps there. So nice. <laughs> time's up a little all over the place. <laughs> I imagine you take meetings at all hours of the day. I, I have, and I'm a, admittedly a workaholic, so that doesn't help. And I always say yes. So go back to Harry's question earlier, something I need to work on my own advice. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Other than the time zone differences, you know, there's a big difference between when you move from an SDR to being a team leader and you're managing maybe eight or 15 people, whatever the, the size of a team is, versus when you're when you are managing a global team or directing a global team rather. The the goals are different, but also the challenges. So what have you found? Is it just the same thing at larger scale or are there unique challenges when you get to that kind of true enterprise size? What's been really interesting, so we sell into the public sector specifically and I think what's been really interesting is the common base customer pain points that you're hearing is actually global. It just may be different verbiage, right? Or different, different way of going about it. So everyone's had the same customer pain points. I would say the, the biggest difference beyond time zone is the approach. We found that in EMEA, like phone calls work the best. Or I apologize, in, in Australia, phone calls just work a lot better than email. It might be that human connection they want. They're making the connections faster. And in Mia, there's so many rules around GDPR and compliance and who you can reach out to. Phone calls actually do work better there. But in, in Amer, in the U.S. and Canada, we've, we've phone calls, cold calling is not dead, right? Everyone, it, I agree. Cold calling is not dead. We found that we were setting more meetings through different 
different tools like Calendly or um, Doodle, for example, to set calendar invites, we found that setting meetings through email have been a little bit more productive than calls, but it's been very 50-50. But so I would say the way you're selling is, I guess, different. But at the end of the day, it's the same customer pain points you're hearing, which has been really interesting. And how did how do you find that to be, say, different in the public sector itself? You know, like there's a lot of different, especially if you're just focusing on America without getting international for a moment, like there's so, I mean, the public sector is vast. It is staggeringly large. And I imagine, you know, Salesforce has a play for just about every part of the public sector. How do you get your hands around it all? It's That's like the number one question I think our SCRs ask when you get onboarded, they get, it's like the fire hose. They're like, you want me to learn this or that? It's, there is so many personas and we sell particularly to one moment at 8 a.m., you might be talking to someone within the Department of Defense and the Army. All of a sudden, 10 minutes later, now you're talking to just a local county with maybe a 2,000-person population, right? So what's really awesome about this particular role is uh, my team manages our entire inbound channel of leads. So as an SDR, you're really building a foundation of learning each of these personas, learning all the different types of solutions that Salesforce can particularly offer for a platform as a service. And as a sales rep, you're really honing your skills on learning all these different personas and who you're, who you're attacking. And even it's even more difficult to decide like what your talk track is going to be like. So I don't, I'm really not a big fan of like a talk track or set talk track. Rather, let's arm you with the right customer stories, the right product knowledge to just get you past that first meeting to help your account executive and let them take the more you know in-depth questions and dig deeper into that particular project further. So your goal is just to set that meeting. Let's kind of break down these mini goals and go from there. So when you're going after these folks and you're teaching someone new, what does ramp look like and how long does that take? So you've got this fire hose, you've got all these different personas, all this different stuff to learn. Do you take the long view and and have them ramping up over three, six, maybe even more months? Or is it pick a specialty, we're going to give you a a vertical, and then over time, you'll add more verticals as we go? Yeah. Onboarding, I think, is the one process that's evolved the most in in the last five years. It went from me, I was the second SDR that started within our public sector unit with nothing, to now I've been it's been I've been really grateful for my frontline management team because we've been able to build a really solid onboarding program. So to answer your initial question, our within the first month, our, our focus with our SDR is hey, literally go to our website, learn our customer stories, learn the product, learn the solutions. We have Trailhead, which which gets you really in-depth to using our solution if you're not familiar with Salesforce. And then by week three or four is when we get them on the phones to get them comfortable emailing and doing outreach. And then really from months, I would say six weeks all the way up to six months, we, we've built this enablement calendar where you're at least learning some sort of product knowledge, solution knowledge, or customer story all within six months. And I'm constantly still learning as our solution set keeps changing. One thing I did add within our onboarding program within the last year is instead of your frontline manager teaching you every single skill, right? we found that in the remote world, again, to build camaraderie, we've actually had our own SDRs get involved in enablement side. So they kind of take over each bit or piece so that now you're you're learning with more reps. We found that when you're a new hire, it's already nerve-wracking enough that you're starting a new job, but when you have to take the initiative to say hi, it's even harder. So we've built it into the program. So it makes it easier for the senior rep to also not feel like they're just slacking them or pinging them a high, but let's, let's have you take ownership of their success too. And it, it's 
really helped help the frontline manager, but also the team get to know each other. And I imagine that there's nothing better for mastery for your more senior reps to teach the, the newbies, yeah. so to speak, you know, the, the, the ropes. That's a great point, Eric. They do catch themselves sometimes like, oh my gosh, like I actually, I actually do need to like read up on that again. And what we found too, actually, that I have a particular example. I had an SDR rep. He's an absolute rock star with metrics and a great team player. He's an athlete just as background. We found that athletes are, I'm sure, you know, like they're just competitive go-getters. He, he did not want to take on a mentorship role. We call them trail guides. I was very surprised because he's always saying yes and always helping. And he's like, Hey, I just don't think I can take it on. I have a huge quota this, like this month. I don't think I can take it on Rachel. And, um, I, I was very surprised that took me off guard and I was able to convince him to do it. Um, I, I explained to him like, Hey, you'd be helping me out, but you'd be helping your team out. And you might find that you might enjoy it. I know this is the first time you're taking something on like this within the first three days, he came back. He's like, you know what, Rachel, I'm so glad you kind of pushed me into this. I, I enjoyed it so much. I feel like I've taken on, he used to be a captain in his old like sports team. He's like, it's like, it felt like a sport a bit. Like he felt like he, he was able to give wisdom or knowledge or just help a particular teammate out. And it, it, it got him more excited to help out more operationally. Like without me asking, he was like, Hey, like, I think we need to fix some of our email templates or, Hey, I feel like we can fix this process. And I guess what I'm trying to say is like, it's been awesome to see that when you give a little bit of responsibility to these, these reps, it's I've, in the past, I felt like, Oh, I'm being lazy. I'm like handing it off, but no, you're, you're actually passing along wisdom and giving them that opportunity to say, Hey, I I'd like to give this a stab and they learn something new out of it. And that's been very fulfilling. That's awesome. Plus, you know, they say there's no better way to find out where your gaps are yourself and to help yourself continue learning than, than try to teach something. You might think you have it dialed up and then you try to show it to someone and you realize, actually, I have some more questions to go back and, and bring to my boss and ask for, for some mentorship myself. So that's awesome. And especially in a remote world where everybody's trying to be more connected and, and feel more like they're part of a team, I think that's a really great part of your process. Yeah. And it's been awesome to see him grow without him realize, like he realized it himself too. And it's just a business maturity thing too. He, he, he's, he's positioned himself to do great things, not only on the dash, but off the dash too now. That's awesome. So what's on the docket now moving forward? You know, we saw you were on this panel about a month ago through reply.io working on sales development topics and talking about them. And then obviously, as we get through Q4, I'm sure you're looking into 2022. What's uh, exciting on the horizon for you? I know it's been a crazy, uh, we had a Q3 just now at Salesforce and I had, you know, I had you reach out, Harry, and uh, reply.io reached out having the first hosting the first virtual conference like this and i thought it was so cool that it was geared towards sales development leaders but also sales development reps specifically i never thought i'd be a speaker on this but i'm super passionate about sales development and it was a great opportunity to speak to a larger audience in a panel i would say over the next you know over the next year or six months it's it's i'm i'm constantly learning i'm a big proponent for a learning environment and a learning culture. So not only am I, again, having my reps learn, I, I, I'm learning as well. So in particular for myself, one of the biggest growth areas is now that I have had a frontline management team that's been established for a solid year or so, it's been a huge change of pace for me to kind of get myself out of the front lines. I just love like, I love kind of pulling my my, my sleeves up and like doing drive times, listening to calls, like getting to know the reps on the daily. And it's been a big change to kind of hand off those responsibilities to, to my management team and trust them to run their own space, right? And not feel like I'm over their shoulder. So I think 
the biggest growth area for me is to continue just providing the tools and resources to my management team now and letting them build their own culture, build their own systems, build, make their own mistakes, right? And when they need and seek advice for me to kind of be there. So in that way, it's like moving into more operational minded view completely now. Makes a lot of sense. So Rachel, at that conference, the virtual conference from Reply, you were on the panel of cold outreach mistakes and how to avoid them, I think. What were some of those and, and you know, what's the remedy? It was, it was a great opportunity to speak. And I spoke on a panel with Jed and Florin, who are from Lupio and PandaDoc. And I've learned some great things on that side. From Personally, from what I've seen, I think one of the biggest mistakes is taking up that first line of an email to introduce yourself. You know, hi, Joe or Jane, this is this is Rachel, public sector sales development director at Salesforce. That crucial real estate, right, when on your inbox where you don't want to take that away from introducing yourself, right, because your signature line is always at the bottom anyways, go right into what the reason for outreach. And as an SDR, when you're an inbound SDR, I think your biggest tool is that you already know they're researching something or they touch some sort of content. They, they attended a webinar, attended an event. Um, I agree, you might not always use that as a way in but you already know they're searching for something. So go straight in for the, why am I reaching out? Hey, I noticed you're that contact center lead within the city of Chicago. We found that XYZ is what, what folks like yourself are experiencing. You just go straight in for the ask. So tip rule of advice is like, use that for that first line for, for the why versus introduction. A second piece I would say is, a lot of, I think the hottest question is sometimes like how long an email should be specifically that first touch email. And I know it's a tricky kind of, everyone has different opinions on it. In my opinion, it's not how many sentences it is. It's rather, can you get across enough context and your ask within, within five sentences versus sometimes two sentences isn't enough. Right. So instead of like worrying about how many sentences, just, just put in your thoughts of what you're going after and from there kind of scale it back. So if it does take, let's say five sentences to get your point across of the why, but that why is compelling, it's like, I would say still send that out. Quick question, just to follow up on that. Do you find, especially given your unique point of view in the public sector or you know, kind of prospecting into public sector, do you find or think that, that it's different? Do you have more space, more time, more words? That's a great question. With public sector specifically, I found that when you do cold call, we don't we have less hangups right away. I don't know if it's because it's on their office line and they have to stay on the phone, but I know sometimes prospecting into private, it's like you get the more maybe sometimes that rude hang up or the the rude don't call again. What's interesting is we haven't seen that very rarely within PubSec. So with that in mind, we, we it, it, that's been super helpful as well. And what we found within public sector too is a lot of these folks are they're public servants. They're serving citizens. They're serving the nation, and they they're so passionate about what they do. So their emotional or personal driver might not be to create you know gain more money for their business or increase revenues, but rather how do I make this particular process or operation better not only for my agency but for myself. So it's a lot of passionate folks, and it really creates more. A more of a conversation than like that sales pitch. So we don't really do an elevator pitch, to be quite honest with you. I don't even train my reps to say, what's your elevator pitch? It's rather go into that, like go into it as a conversation, go into it as a, as like a consultative approach. Yeah. That's what we hear a lot these days is, is the consultative approach, of course, is what, what a lot of people are talking about, or you hear the doctor analogy of being prescriptive. You know, I wonder, Salesforce is obviously 
a pretty well-known name and uh, also has built up infrastructure. You know, it, being from the sales space, you know, people talk about working at Salesforce and that's, it's, everything's built out. We know exactly how we do things. There's a big infrastructure ready to go. So you mentioned you started off in, in a much smaller company, but then moved to Salesforce. So what did you learn from Salesforce specifically, seeing how they've kind of built everything up, how they have the different tiers and the different rungs and everything else that some of our listeners who maybe haven't worked in a large enterprise like that wouldn't know, even if they're paying attention? Yeah, I would say a big thing is, so I joined Salesforce five years ago, where it was a 30,000 person company, and now we're 60,000, which is which is crazy to say. I think the biggest difference sometimes in a large company is you may feel like a cog in the wheel, like everything's already built into place. Don't steer away. Just keep kind of following that hamster wheel and just keep doing what you're told. What, what I found at Salesforce, which has been really, really nice, is it's an open door policy, fully transparent. So I mentioned to you how my team in particular, it's always... What ideas do you have? Nothing's ever turned away. What's what I've also found beyond that is my larger group that I'm working with is the same way as well. So we're actually constantly innovating, constantly changing. Anytime you ask for a virtual coffee to meet someone, maybe that's outside of your organization or unit, no one's ever said no. If anything, you gain that new network. So with large companies, again, it may feel like you're a cog in the wheel, but I have not felt that as Salesforce, which is which is great. I have a follow-on actually on this one too, because the the interesting thing. You had mentioned that when you started on the public sector as an SDR, you were the second on that team. Yes. And, you know, theoretically, at least just in the numbers that you had given us, you have three managers now and another 14 reps underneath them. So that would indicate that even this team is growing as fast, if not faster than the doubling of the rest of the company. I was just going to say that that's a hallmark of success. It, it truly is. It just feels like a we're like a startup basically, but with the funding and resources of a large company, it's like literally the best of both worlds. So it's that startup mentality. It's wearing multiple hats. It's everyone leaning in, everyone doing what's best for not only the customer, but for our our growth. And I feel like, again, it's the same mentality that we're seeing within our public sector customers. So when they both have both of that kind of same mentality, it's been really, it's it's been awesome to see the growth. What would you say is the biggest learning between, you know, because I imagine that the, the targets in the public sector haven't changed a dramatic amount, or maybe they have. And, and if so, please tell me. But what is the biggest thing that you've learned about kind of like serving the public servants with, you know, as you've kind of moved up the ladder, like give me some of the nuggets and the takeaways and the insights around, you know, how you go to market differently now than 2016. Yeah, when you say targets, do you mean like our revenue targets, our pipe gen targets? Are we hitting our, our or prospect goals? targets, like yeah. your ideal customer or ideal government profile? <laughs> yeah, I, like you said, public sector is such a vast industry. It's like I feel like we only just scratch the surface because within public sector, again, you have state and local counties, you have Department of Defense, you have federal government. And you also have this aerospace and system integrators world where they're private, but they're selling and you know, their main clients are, are public sector. Because it's such a wide range, I would say the targets have definitely gone up increasingly each, each year. And the biggest thing I would say, the biggest change I've seen within this last year with the pandemic, I know, sadly, the pandemic has affected a lot of industries, right, where everything has changed overnight with digital transformation. I would say the, the one positive thing that came from the pandemic is it's like government locally and federally just woke up saying, oh my gosh, like if we can't have folks walk into the DMV each day, right? Doing that manual process, the manual paperwork, how do we how do we serve them online? And it wasn't a choice anymore. It was like they were forced to change overnight. 
And so this past year, it was, it's been a lot of education and listening to our, again, listening to our customers too, and hearing what their pain points are specifically around vaccine administration has been big licensing and permitting and helping our health services around like social services and, and foster care and like it's really expanded to all these different units within government, but that's been the biggest change that they they have a reason to change now and they need to change. And there's been extra kind of funding with these grants that have really helped push this over the edge. Yeah, that's really interesting. It seems like the perception is that, you know, public sector, it's a beast. It can be so difficult. It takes forever. They never want to change. So are, are you saying that over the last two years, because of everything that's happened, they're actually a little bit more flexible and a little more approachable than they were before? For sure. They're definitely more approachable, more flexible. And there's still those same obstacles, like you said, like the the red, the, the red tape, the, the funding is always constantly an issue. But because there's maybe more injection and more more public, like the public is able to have more transparency and viewing into it, that that's definitely helped drive it across the edge. And again, it's sad to hear because the pandemic obviously affected us in many different ways. That was the one I would say small positive that's come from come from the last year. It sounds like mindset is really the biggest change. And, and you know, I'm reading between the lines here and also guessing that your team and your group has kind of adopted that motion of let's bring this up as a topic. Let's bring this up as an area of focus. How are you thinking about moving beyond paper and to a digital first transparent world to serve your constituents? Yeah. And it's been really exciting that we're able to help them in any way, even just open up the conversation, right? Again, the red tape is still there, but how do we just create that connection? And you would think Salesforce as a brand is is a big positive to kind of shout and tout, but within public sector, as soon as you say you're calling from Salesforce, they're like, ah, we, we're not a sales organization. They kind of hang up. I think that's the one objection we do get. <laughs> <laughs> One question I do have, and I promise we won't get too deeply into tactics, but being at Salesforce and being in now a role that you're in, having changed that title on LinkedIn, I can only imagine the emails you get, the phone calls you get, the LinkedIn messages you get. You must get all of it. I won't ask you all of the uh, the tricks that work. We won't ask to you to list to everyone how to get a meeting onto your calendar, but what are some of the things that you're seeing consistently that don't work? Some of the supposed best practices that you see a lot of different sales development reps trying to get your attention, but all of a sudden, you know, there's just a lot of it and now it's not working from the perspective of being at Salesforce. I would say templated emails, just they're not going to work. Like that random stat that you throw in that has nothing to do with my business or who I am as a persona. I'm not a big fan. That's an immediate turnoff. It seems like a machine built that template and you just fired off a hundred emails, right? I understand that volume is is a part of that SDR or BDR role. And they have a very difficult job. It's the hardest job, honestly, in, in the world, right? You're in the front lines working with these customers. You're the face of the of, of your organization. So I I understand templates are needed, but it's got to go beyond like insert here, but try to take that extra step of pulling up that that individual's LinkedIn, pulling up what you can on the internet on them. Maybe they shared a particular content piece that they wrote. Maybe maybe within their LinkedIn, you see that they follow certain companies or interests. Just take that one tidbit or maybe share the same alma mater, right? It really does go a long way. If you lead with that, hey, we both went to you know George Mason University. I saw that your ex, just that. I feel like it immediately breaks the ice. So the I love the ones where they go out of their way just to share one nugget they may have seen of mine. And even how you introduce yourself here, Harry and Eric, today you mentioned you saw that reply.io conference, right? That already built that human connection. So take that extra three minutes to build the human connection. Don't fire off that 100-person email, in my opinion. 
Got it. I think that's really relevant coming from where you are. And, you know, we've, we've heard that advice from other speakers. We've also heard the opposite advice from other speakers of, of no, you can templatize more. But when they say that, I don't think they're talking about targeting into a group like Salesforce and realizing the, the sheer volume of outbound that goes to an organization like that. So I think that's really good coming from your perspective to, to share with everybody who's listening that, you know, maybe that template that works on the other 90% of the market, when you get into the really big fish, you might want to spend a little more time if you want to get their attention. Yeah, even if it's a bigger organization or a bigger title, like take that extra three minutes to, to, to build that quick tidbit about them you may have found online, about them or maybe their organization or mission or values. One of the techniques that you'd shared earlier that I think is particularly powerful is getting to know your own customer stories. And, and I hope that you could kind of share some examples of how you guys roll those forward in kind of Salesforce's world. I imagine it to be something similar to, well, this agency that looks a lot like your agency or this locality, this city government or county government that was, you know, pre-Salesforce and then post-Salesforce, here, here's what happened. Here's what, you know, the difference was. I found within public sector, first of all, it's really tough to get a government agency sometimes to agree to be able to post their success online. Yeah. So sometimes you do have to take that extra step if you can't name drop, just simply mentioning, hey, we've been working with a few different healthcare type agencies within within Louisiana or within New Orleans, right? What they, what I've found within public sector that's worked really well is they like references. And one of the biggest factors that I've seen in private sector, you're competing against your competitor, right? To be better. What is your secret sauce? What you don't want to share. But what's been really awesome in the public sector is if you find success in something that works, they actually want to share through a community forum or through a, through a round table because they want another state or another locality to also, you know, take that on, but in a much easier way because they can share their template of how they were able to change overnight. And now that other agency can 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 take that template and move forward. So that's actually been really interesting to see that it's a lot more sharing this for continued like mutual success versus in private where it's, I got to, you know, I can't share my secret sauce. That's really fascinating. And, and, you know, to find out what works in Phoenix might also work in Pittsburgh is kind of like one of these things that, you know, I can totally see that in the public sector. Yeah. And I mentioned that some of these folks are your day-to-day folks that are putting these solutions into play and they're so passionate about helping it's, they're also helping their peers like that. And so that's been really exciting. So to answer your initial question, Eric, with the customer stories, if you can name drop, it goes so far. Like that's what I mean by that quick personalization, just mentioning if you can mention like, hey, Town of Cary actually uses us versus an experience management and a call center. I found that you're the call center within within the city of Chicago. It wouldn't make sense for us to have a conversation. That That's our big, a reference is our number one. It opens up the conversation for us. It's so simple. You haven't given that much of a pitch at all, but it, it seems like you really key in on fear of missing out. It seems like that's one of the big things in a, in a space where people really want to help and they want to you know, be collaborative. It seems like a lot of your pitches are built around fear of missing out. Do you, do you think that's something that's really central when you're in the public sector to, to lean on? I think fear of missing out. And really what they want to hear is, oh, they've another locality has found success or, hey, another locality like literally is fixing the exact same solution that I'm trying to fix right now. They just want to hear that that's happening. And that's, again, that's gone, that's gone the longest way. That's awesome. In science, we call it all the cool kids are doing it. Yeah, exactly. I want to know that others are doing it. I'm not the first. It's not a crazy risk. And that's where the, the FOMO starts coming in. You go, well, if they are doing it, then maybe maybe I want to hear a little bit more. 
So yeah. And then sometimes we even get them connected actually with that other, that other customer or that other agency. And they really, we find that they're able to scale and implement quicker because they have something to start with. I think the hardest part is finding that, that one pioneer, what we call that trailblazer that took that step to take all the hard part out of the way to implementing solution and able to share that with the rest of their peers. Do you ever take the approach with getting that pioneer of, you know, how do you find that first person? Do you offer a discount? Do you use uh, your network and, and refer- referrals to try to find someone a little more of an appetite? I uh, admittedly have not closed the deal within Salesforce, but I believe that you know discounts are definitely a part of it in some way. If we find that it's that helping method. So what I mean by that, uh, we worked with, I won't, I, I can share it actually within, we worked with Rhode Island on their vaccine administration management system. And so I'm not saying we provide a discount. I'm just saying we, we probably had that mutual conversation at that point in time, because it was, we were in such a dire state as a, as a nation. It's how do we just help right off the bat? Like, how do we just get this going within three months? And we created a vaccine administration management solution, like within 90 days, just to get get things going. And from there, I'm sure conversations led to how we continue that type of partnership. You actively talk to your SDRs or their managers around triggering the help instinct, given, you know, your ideal customer profile. I'm just curious how the teaching and training and kind of like the sharing of insights, like you just shared with us, goes to pay, you know, to kind of like learn it forward. So, you know, maybe it's as simple as call coaching on callback or Hey, work this into you know your pitch. Ultimately, what we're looking for here is is to trigger that help instinct in the the person that we're talking to. Yeah, we uh, some of the key things that we do every day is it is just call coaching, and specifically, my management team tries to sit in at least an hour every two weeks with each rep. And if they find that there is a maybe there was a call that they were just on the cusp of booking a meeting, but something fell through it's coaching them on maybe that particular customer reference or maybe some some sort of knowledge could kind of push that call over the edge. Another thing that we do, I mentioned customer stories are really big for us is within our team meetings, actually each of our reps present a full customer story or maybe a customer win that they had that isn't public, but they can share at least internally, like what their pain points are. What was the proposed solution? What was your impact? How many touch points did it take to get you to agree to the call? Sharing that email template or maybe that objection that they handled with their peers. And so what what happens is when they share that win or share that customer story, they naturally learn it faster because they're taking notes themselves, but also their peers are hearing it. And then we kind of do a round robin each week after that. Love that idea of learning from glory stories, you know, going around and just sharing. There's so many little pieces of stored knowledge that lives in the head of sales development reps and sales reps, and it just never gets anywhere else. And so if you can have a forum for that and share it with everyone else, a lot of times you go, oh my God, you did that thing with that account? I can do that with this one over here. I know. And in the office, right, it was a bit easier to twirl your desk, you know, chair around if you heard an awesome call your 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 teammate just gone on. But again, in a virtual world now, it's it's how do we recreate that? And it's it's a bit of forcing it into a team meeting, right? But that's what we're hearing actually from my feedback. My team wants to hear more win stories. They want to hear what objections that their teammates are handling because they get a lot of feedback from their frontline manager, but you're also learning from your peers too. One of these days, someone's going to come out with a technology that pipes back in the sound from the sales floor. You'll be at home at Zoom. One ear will have everybody yelling in your ear and the other one will have your normal conversation. It'll be terrible. We'll create a Spotify <laughs> playlist that's like an ongoing like two-hour two hour, uh, soundbite. Awesome. Well, we are coming towards the end of our time today. 
we always like to save a few minutes at the end for someone to pitch basically their product. You know, we don't think there's this is something we usually talk about before the episode starts, but we don't I don't think our listeners mind hearing it. We don't think there's anything negative to having somebody explain their product and the company they represent because our guests all represent some really interesting products and companies to our our listeners. So if there's anything about what you're doing, your team, Salesforce in general, that you'd like to, to throw out there for everybody, or if there's anywhere that people can can come find you, such as uh, your recent webinar and, and panel or anything like that, let us know. Yeah. You know, Salesforce, specifically within our government space, allows government agencies to digitize their processes and create efficiencies to allow them to better engage and serve their communities. We are a platform as a service, and it's just been really powerful to see that our entire suite of products can really help that entire citizen experience or what we call that 360 citizen experience. If, if you have an, if you're a listener and you're, you work within the government space, more than happy to help you out, please reach out to us at salesforce.com slash government. That's awesome. And I think your, your techniques and some of the hard won learnings that you shared are also going to be great for any other SDR leaders who are prospecting into the government space as well. So I imagine that you might be open to connecting with them. Yeah, please reach out to me. I can be found on LinkedIn. Again, my name is Rachel Young. More than happy to make any connections, you know, sales or unsales related. If you're if you're just starting out your career in tech sales or interested in even working within public sector, I'm always happy for a virtual coffee chat. That's awesome. I hope some of our listeners take you up on that. That's a, a great offering. And thank you for sharing everything, not only about Salesforce, but the public sector. We haven't had anyone really drop knowledge about that since we started. And I think that's going to be really helpful to a lot of people. So thank you so much for joining us and for sparing some of your time. And hope you guys have a great end of Q4. Appreciate the opportunity, Harry and Eric. It was great meeting you both. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you.